Hi, this is Mark Wade, writer of Daredevil, and you're listening to Longbox Heroes. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 549 of Longbox Heroes, the Lamborghini of comic book podcasts. Joe and Todd here. Todd, did you find what fell? No, I did not. Besides my my heart, that was the only thing that I could find that fell recently. It wasn't Jacob Morley's chains, was it? No, my creaky floor, so I can't sneak out at night. Yes, because on my list of things that you and I are doing is sneaking. Oh, I was wearing my sneakers, Joe, for For, sneaking. For sneaking. That's right. Uh, The big, giant, lumbering oaf that I am, no one sneaks up on more people in this house than I do. I've been told I'm a sneaky big guy myself. I find out, I find out if you walk, if, and I can't, I know how to sneak. Always. If you want to sneak up on somebody, the trick is heel first. Oh, okay. Put your heel down and then roll your foot soft, the rest of your foot into it. And you will not make a lot of noise. Like if you're sneaking up on somebody, I think that's how I walk anyway. That's how Mm -hmm. I was raised to walk, you know? Right, and then bloat foot added to it. Yeah, you know, well, bloat foot, it's more like a drag or a not putting a lot of pressure, just putting a lot of pressure on one leg. Mm -hmm. But, you know, my kid runs through the house like an elephant. You know what I mean? You hear him coming like two blocks away, like the people down the road hear him running through the house. Right. And then Uh, my wife is, yeah, she bounces through the house like speedball, you know, but more often than not, like I'm walking down the hall and I startle them. I think it's once they see me, they're startled. Right. Your I think visage. that's part of it. Yes. Mm-hmm. See, me, I walk like that because of my Jim Brown-like bunions, Joe. <laughs> so, uh, well, you know what? We'll save that. Put a pin in that discussion. We have comic <laughs> book stuff to discuss, not our own personal business. A uh, little bit of news this week. Uh, follow-up, an attempt at clarity, but not so much. On the recent DC pricing issues, um, a legendary artist jumps back to his home. Uh, some may say they didn't even know he left. <laughs> and uh, why are some of the biggest name books at Marvel being resolicited even before they come out? <gasps> uh, digital books and sales, what we read this past week, which was Beta Ray Bill number one. And The Flash, number 768, what we're looking forward to coming out this week. Uh, Todd's Art Attack. Todd and Joe have issues with the milestone Amazing Spider-Man 400 smack dab in the first eighth of the Clone Saga. (laughs) And uh, spoiler-filled discussion of the uh, latest episodes of The Flash and Falcon Winter Soldier. Mm Mm-hmm. So uh, some attempts at clarity regarding all this discussion that we've been having with DC and these books that are $6 books, primarily Batman and Joker. I think those are really the only ones that would be affecting us, right? Right. Where for the June books, uh, Batman, Joker, the main Batman book, Joker, and a couple other like miniseries-y things, like some Wonder Woman series, we're being solicited as five ninety nine, like no difference between the cardstock cover and the main cover. 
even though the pictures that they would show of the covers would show the like the lower pricing, the solicitation text, the order forms, and everything else had the higher pricing at five ninety nine. Then it came out that two weeks from now's Joker number two was now up to five ninety nine. For either version, whether it be uh, the cardstock or the non-cardstock cover. DC came out with some clarity and said uh, that starting with that June issue of Batman, um, that was a mistake. It should be $4.99, not $5.99. Right. And it said that all the Joker covers are going to be $5.99 because we're only doing cardstock covers for, for Joker. Okay. Right. <laughs> you don't get a choice. I liked saving that buck for not getting the cardstock cover, you know? Right, but it's Joker. That book's going to sell even though it's really the Jim Gordon monthly, Joe. Right, and we, we talked about it on the show, you know, if that's an extra dollar in Jim Gordon's pocket, you know, he's lived a lo- rough life. I'm okay mm-hmm. with that. That's right. He's not commissioner anymore. But that being said, you know, hopefully a little clarity, a little, um, you know, pinning a button on this. Um, I don't think this will be the last time that this comes up. What? I think it's all said and done. Wipe your hands of it and we'll hear no more, Joe. Yes. Ugh. I dust my hands thusly. That's Never right. will I, we speak of a $6 comic book again. I think the bean counters are running the asylum, Joe. Yeah. Well, they did let another one, those bean counters at DC, uh, let another one slip through their cracks as Marvel made the big announcement that John Romita Jr. was returning to Marvel. Um, and I would say, little did I know he was gone. Uh, <laughs> I know about nine years ago, Eight years ago, they made a big play for Ramita. Um, he, I think, exclusively worked with Jeff Johns and Brian Michael Bendis and almost exclusively worked on Superman-related stuff. Right. With a few things here or there. But I always considered John Ramita a Marvel guy. And we were kind of talking, you know, going over the show notes before we started recording and I'm like, what's the last thing that he even did for DC? And Todd's like, well, he's currently on Action Comics. And I'm like, I would never even know that. Right. Well, he, he not currently on these, but like that was the last job that he had into 2020, I think. Yeah. So, like, re- like, you know, it's been within the last like six months, I'd say even 12, you know, six to 12 months. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, I couldn't. I, I didn't know. You would think. If DC had a big gun artist like this, and whatever your opinion of John Romiter Jr. is, is yours. He's a name. I, I assume he draws people in. You heavily courted him and advertised him coming to draw for your company where he was strictly a Marvel guy at that point for, what, 20-some years? Oh, longer than that. Yeah, you know? He was drawing the Michelinie, Bob Layton, Romita Jr. Iron Man back in the day. He's been he's been drawing so long at Marvel that when people were saying Romita Jr., I was going, on Iron Man in the 80s? Yeah, like, uh, are you talking about Romita Sr.? I, could, I didn't know. You know what I mean? 
uh, Josh, our one, you know, he always says like, I'm like, uh, he, he loves him. And I always thought Ramita senior was also junior at one point that he's been drawing there so long. Right. Like I know as early as that I could remember him, he was doing like pre McFarlane, pre whatever, like mid range, like maybe like middle two hundreds, amazing Spider-Man's. Um, but as I look here, as you mentioned, he was doing like Iron Man as early as like 1978. Yep. And that, you go look that up. That is some of the most beautiful artwork that I've ever seen. I don't like Ramita Jr. now, but you see him, like I said, inked by Bob Layton. Some of the, amazing. But yeah, that's how long he's been around, Joe. So, um, you know, obviously we look at this and they put like a big promotional image thing out there. And again, I still like his stuff and I get where you're coming from. His art style has evolved a bit from what it looked like back in the early 80s to mid 80s to 90s and so forth. But I still like his stuff. I'm with Josh and I'm not just saying that because he's giving me a fancy family heirloom. <laughs> um, but we wasn't the reason that Ramita went from Marvel to DC was like. He and I, I keep saying they they went after him, but wasn't he a Bendis acquire or Bendis is like, hey, try to get this guy and you know Ramita worked on a bunch of Bendis stuff. That's um, the way I remember it. Not trying right. to be funny. Was that like that like uh, Bendis helped poach Ramita? Mm-hmm. I could be wrong. So that being said, with Ramita coming back to Marvel. Does that mean Bendis could possibly be coming back to Marvel? I don't know. I know this is going to sound weird. I think, I think Bendis is going to go off and do like creator own stuff. But I also know for a fact that Romita Jr. has a creator owned project in the pipe that he's doing. Um, I don't know. I think, I think it was one of those. And somebody said it at the shop today when I was there that we, we were talking about Romita going back and. He said when when Romita le- uh, when when Bendis was poached by DC that they said they felt that Marvel was like good. I mean, oh, I can't believe you got him away from us because he was at the end of his like on everything. It seemed like you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know. I I don't see if Bendis came back. I think it would be in when you have such like Jason Aaron's and you have your uh, Donny Cates and everything like that. He's the he's almost the old guard now, and we have the fresh hip new writers. Right. It's the, it's the same way. Like Jim Starlin was one of the guys who built like you know Cosmic Marvel, but he gets a job here or there. You know, so that's the way I kind of look at it. So it'll be interesting to see, like, what he does. I would assume that they would probably put him on, like, whatever the next event book is. Right. Um, uh, uh, Ramita Jr. I gotcha. I was on. I, was, I know. Uh, right, right. So Ramita Jr., I assume he'll go on some sort of, like, event book. Um, I would assume maybe they might put him on whatever Donny Cates' big mystery thing that he's teasing is. I mm-hmm. think that would be a nice mix of some old and some new. Right. Um, or conversely, whoever takes over Venom from Donny Cates would probably, like, maybe Ramita will be the artist there, which is why they haven't... Like, Venom is and has been a consistently hot seller for, like, the last two or three years. Right. And with Donny Cates' last issue coming out, and again, they keep kind of moving the chains on it, it keeps getting delayed for a variety of reasons. 
Um, but he kept saying, like, no, no, issue 150 of Venom is not the last issue of Venom. It's my last issue of Venom. Well, his last issue of Venom was solicited, like, a month ago. Mm-hmm. And the new issue hasn't been solicited, and there hasn't been an announcement of who's taking it over, you know? Right. And I would lean towards whether it's Venom or not, uh, Ramita Jr. getting an ongoing book because he can meet deadlines. Yeah. Like his father whipped deadlines into him at a young age. Oh, yeah. So it's like, okay, here's an here's a here's a writer or an artist who will put butts in the seats. Yep. Are we going to save him for five big issues or are we going to put him on a book with a big writer? And he'll give us, he'll give us like at, at definitely 11 issues a month. You know what I mean? Uh, maybe 12. He's getting up there. You know, he's in his sixties now, I think, but, uh, he's a man uh, in his sixties and we call him junior. Right. Well, he's got senior, <laughs> senior. Did oh, he have a dog get... named Indiana by some chance that we can name him that? Yeah. But, uh, so I, I see him going on an ongoing book, whether it's like, you know, just just say like an X Men book, a Spider a Spider Man book, something. You know. Well, that so that's you know my thought process is get him on the next big event because he could whip that out in a weekend, right? And that's done, and you don't have to worry about like oh you know we can't get the you know six other books are delayed because this event book is delayed because the artist said like a, a, a drank a little too much sleepy time tea you know <laughs> right or whatever it is. And, uh, you know, you get that event book, his art is done, it's ready to go, it's not going to be late, and then you could even have, like, whatever book he's going to be on spin out of that event book. Right. And you, you, you're, 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 you're kind of getting a little synergy there. Either way, um, I don't see him just kind of, like, piddling on, like, backup features in, you know, whoever your favorite lame Marvel character to make fun of is. Like, right. he's not going to be writing D-Man backups in Daredevil, you know? Right. As long as he's not drawing Dr. Doom crying, I'm okay. <laughs> One time. Dr. Doom well, was real sad that day. It was a, yeah, he got a piece of something in his eye. Yeah. So, last but not least, uh, we talked a little bit about the uh, June solicitations that had come out. And one of the books that was in the June solicitations, uh, you know, we just had Todd talked about it last week was Aliens number one at Marvel, of course, as they acquire all those Fox licenses and stuff. Uh, in the June solicitations, one of the books that was there uh, was Predator number one at Marvel. And, you know, one would assume that there would have been a big launch, go alongside with those properties, building up to the inevitable crossover between the two properties. Just like they did some 30 years ago, listen to Previewing the Past for more information on that <laughs> over on our Patreon. But just as soon as that got announced for coming out in June, they announced that it is now being canceled and resolicited to come out in November. Um, and I would say that's probably the quickest turnaround of something being solicited and moved back uh, that far. It's being delayed five months. That's crazy. Right. I, I can't imagine what that has to do with anything, though, Joe. Uh-huh. I can't seem to put the dots together. <laughs> Well, uh, as uh, as it was speculated online, that perhaps the reason it was delayed was this is going to be one of the, I guess, launch titles? One of the big flagshipy books once Marvel goes full to their shipping with Penguin. Right. I believe that. I mean, I'm pu- I'll put my conspiracy cap on, Joe. I got no problem believing that. Um, I could see that being an issue. Um, 
pun intended, but I could probably see it being more so that maybe they thought of something to maybe cross it over into Aliens better? See, I'm going to disagree with you completely. Because they had that in the previews that dropped a week and a half ago. It's not like, I mean, like, why would they even solicit that if they didn't have anything close to anything done? Do you know what I mean? So it's not that the that writers or artists are late because they wouldn't have solicited it and move it back to change the store. I don't, I don't buy it. When they said that Marvel would be going to Penguin and it would be a, a bit a while, it'd be like, well, if we're going to go to it, make it worth our while. And that's going to be probably one of your highest selling books. Make that happen. Right now, as I'm looking at the story and everything and the announcement further, not only was this canceled, but I guess they had like an omnibus of the Dark Horse reprints Mm -hmm. and they were doing like the Predator cover month and those all got delayed as well. Right. Huh. It's all starting to come together, Joe. Yeah. See, I look at things from a more creative standpoint and you, Todd, you're always about the bottom line, the dollar. That's right. Dollars and the cents. Right, the dollars make sense, Joe. Mm-hmm. So it'll be interesting. I don't even know who was the uh, creative team on there. I don't know either, but it was on my list of books to get. Uh-huh. I think that woulda, coulda, shoulda been an early uh, shoe-in for uh, your book of the week, you know? It could be. Yeah. I'm not going to like lay my cards on the table right now for several months away, Joe. Right. You've got at least seven months to think about that. Right. What if a Jonah Hex book comes up against it? What are you going to do then? Well, listen, you, you bit for a fraction of a second on that uh, Jimmy Palmiotti announcement. So. Oh, don't get me started. <laughs> it was one of those things where like, I'm reading the tweet, and I'm like, boy, there's a lot of words for a Jimmy tweet, you know, more than usual. And then I'm reading into it, and I'm like, oh, he's announcing two books from D. I'm like, no, he's not. He's he's full of it. Right. I got to Tallulah uh, to Black and Jonah Hex, and I didn't – there was nothing else in the rest of that tweet, Joe. <laughs> Though the tweet did end with, have you noticed what the date is today, which happened to be April 1st. I was like, Todd, no care. Todd want Jonah book. Yeah. Well, I'll say this, and this did lead me to – Listen to Jimmy and Amanda on John Suntra's Word Balloon podcast. Um, obviously, they're talking more about creator-owned stuff. Right. Their Sonya stuff, too. What is that? And the Red Sonya stuff they're going to be right. doing, Right, they have too, the Red probably. Sonya stuff, uh, something they're working on together. Amanda was making jokes that she can't do the art on things because she can't meet a deadline. She's not wrong. She's not wrong, but at least they're, you know what I mean? They're honest and they're realists, which you, right. uh, you know, have to respect in this day and age. That's right. All uh, covers is what she says. Right. But almost as much as some people saying a certain someone isn't going to interfere in their reasonably priced pay-per-view this Thursday, or as much as their podcast episode this Friday will be the last one ever, they were really hinting around well, you know, why can't we just create our own Jonah Hacks? Why Oof. can't we just create our own Jonah Hacks? And after the sixth or seventh time they said it, I'm like, I think they might be creating their own Jonah Hacks. 
<laughs> oh, well, maybe I'll be on the episode with Jonah Hex after the last one. You know? There you go. I hope they do all buy it. Yeah, for sure. Uh, like I said, uh, Jimmy Palmiotti is a very, I would say, reliable and trusted uh, maker of comic books. And if you could ever go to one of his panels, boy. Woof. Uh, and you know what? I'll tell you, you know, we talked a little bit um, on After Dark this week, or we'll talk about it. I don't know how it all works, um, about conventions and how New York just announced uh, that they're looking to maybe do something the first weekend in October. Baltimore's the last weekend in October, not Halloween, but like the weekend before. Um, last week we talked about San Diego saying they're doing something November. You know, uh, Jimmy Palmiotti being at New York or uh, Baltimore could be the thing that like cinches it and just says, I'm buying my tickets today. Let's go, you know? Right, right. So that's the news. Uh, be sure to check out friends of ours uh, who are doing stuff out there creatively, uh, whether it be Kevin Hellions over at masklibrary.com, Rick Williams over at freekaratechops.com with his cool resin figures, uh, Jason Sandberg's Jupiter, and Chris Runt's Battle Monsters over on Comixology, respectively. I've been seeing a lot more of our friend Becky's original art that she's been sending out with the mail order subscription stuff that's been going out from our comic book shop, Comics on the Green. All the links to all of those principles are in the show notes uh, that accompany every episode when they come out. Uh, you know, most importantly, of course, Comics on the Green. If you do not have a good comic book shop in your area or any comic book shop in your area whatsoever, and you want to have a pull list, you want to have stuff sent to you, want to keep up on the physical media just like Todd and myself do, We've both been going to Comics on the Green for, what, coming up now at least 30-plus years? Yeah, I think I've been going to Comics on the Green since I left high school in 91, since the previews that we're reading right now on yeah. Patreon. So I I think the, the thing that made me bite the bullet, I'm about a year behind you. It's going to be uh, Death of Superman that made me say, like, I need a dedicated comic book shop, you know? Well, what made me go was the one that I was going to turned out to be a really comic book opportunity place. <laughs> um, I mean, come on. You had a hear of Comic World in Dixon City in your travels, right, Joe? I, I, I have. And how that was, you know, he was an opportunist, if you will. Yes. Um, I got taken on many things. And then finally I was like, I'm done. And I moved. And then somebody told me, oh, well, I go to the one in Scranton. And that's what I did. I moved down. And not move down, obviously, but move to there and that. But I was the Linden Street shop. I was never on the original Washington uh, Street Avenue one. I'm, you know, I've been to the one that's it's. He's on Washington again in a different spot. But Linden was my first, my first. I was in there the 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 original shop for a hot minute, and then started collecting over on Linden. I love that Linden shop. I miss that one. Playing yeah. darts in the back room. I, and I'll say this in the most positive way possible. It had a darkness that the new store is missing. Right. But it was always clean and well lit. I'll give it that. So Yeah. It, for as, as well lit as it was, like the new store, it's like all windows. Right. The other one was all windows, but it always had stuff in front of them. That was what the problem was. Yeah. <sighs> uh, but for, for I was still getting comics, but I was like more of like, oh, a, news, a newsstand kid. I didn't have a license. I was still a kid. 
riding my bike to places. And, uh, it was, you know, baseball cards were still a thing. I was still into sports. So as I was going to the baseball card stores, which were all over the place, I was seeing myself buying more and more comics and less and less baseball cards. And then the comics that I wanted to were being tougher and tougher to come by. As, as you can imagine, these um, fly-by-night baseball card shops were not good at, like, doing a pull list. Right. So, like, I need a little bit more dedicated of a service. Where's there a comic book store around? Uh, there was another one. Do you remember Al's Comics? I remember Al's. Right. So Al's, I would, fr- I would uh, frequent on occasion, but Al's hours were not conducive to, like, a pre-internet, pre-call-ahead sort of thing day. Like, Definitely. you would go and, you know, his hours were whenever I decide to open the shop. Yep. And then the was the big friendly scary dog there when you went to or no? Yes. Okay. I, and I'll, yep, I'm with you. And that's one thing that I will say about the shop that we go to is in all the years. And he always said it was like comic shops have come and gone. You know, they come, they're like, oh, this, and then they go on to it's like, oh, what's what's the big thing? Oh, cigars. Like remember, there'd be like comic book slash cigar places. There'd be comic book slash this places. And he's like, no, no, no. I do comic books. I'll keep some magic cards by the counters and impulse buy. I'll dabble, you know, when cards were big, some cards, you know, he had a little bit of role playing at the time. He phased that out when the, when the, the place around the corner had all the role playing stuff. He's like, all right, let them have it. That's fine. I'm not going to make a ton of money on that. Just was like, be dedicated about comics and you can survive as long as Joe, this might shock you. As long as you're smart about it. Yeah, being, being smart, I think, definitely helps, you know? Yes, it does. Yeah. So anyway, links to all that is in the show notes. Uh, digital sales this week, there's a ton. A uh, couple holdovers. Marvel runs so hot and cold with their sales. Like, one week they'll do, like, one sale, and then this week it'll be, like, three. Uh, they have sales on Avengers stuff, Fierce Females, uh, Women of Marvel, which are two separate sales. I'm not really sure how Women of Marvel... Oh, no, I'm sorry. The Fierce Females is Valiant. My apologies. Everything bleeds together sometimes. <laughs> right. And uh, Howard the Duck stuff. Um, Oni Press is having a sale on Scott Pilgrim stuff. Dark Horse is having a sale on Beasts of Burden stuff. Uh, IDW also having a sale on Lock and Key stuff. DC having a Classics sale. Whatever qualifies as a classic these days. I know two books that certainly do. <laughs> uh, Dynamite is having a sale on hero stuff, like the little bit of superhero stuff that they do, and Garth Ennis stuff, which leads me to wonder, is the boys coming back soon? Um, Do you mean the TV show? The TV show. I don't think so. I think we're still filming some of that. Most of that. That's all I can think, you know? Let's see what Duck Duck Go says. Oh, I thought you weren't doing that joke no more. I could do it. Okay. Uh, it says here that they're not even starting to film until the summer. So okay, we're still Maybe, at least a year away. Is that teen one? Maybe it could be the teen one. I don't know. That was ahead of schedule. You know what I mean? But anyway. So uh, again, all the links to all that. Is in the show notes. Uh, let's get into what we read from this past week. Todd, where would you like to begin? 
Um, I'm going to start with the book that I was looking forward to most, uh, Flash fi- 768, I was say 568, um, written by Jeremy Adams, art by Brendan, mostly by Brendan Peterson and then a couple other people. Um, basically, this book spins out of the infi- Infinite Frontier Zero that uh, the su- President Superman from another Earth has asked Barry to basically be his guide or his like pioneer into the new whatever verses there are because there's like the multiverse the dark multiverse there's the new one i forget what it's even called so he asked him to do it and in that maybe does the omniverse sound like a thing the omniverse that was it um so he asked him to like explore that for him and now this is the black superman president from another earth like so we're not confused he's like all right i'll do it and i'm gonna give the mantle to wally uh while I'm gone. So that's what happened. In this, we discover that Wally's like after um what was the Tom King story that he messed everything up? He murdered people. Uh Heroes in Crisis. Heroes in Crisis. I couldn't remember that off the top of my head. That he doesn't feel that he's ready for it. He wants a regular life with Linda Park now with the kids. So but Barry's like, all right, I guess we'll do it. So they decide to have a uh take Barry or uh, Wally's powers away from him um, in this race-like thing and things don't quite go the way you expect as you say Um, so Wally ends up being basically quantum leap he he apparently is jumping from person to person and they uh, like a caveman back in the past but he still has his powers and then he jumps into somebody else which I found very interesting but barry's lost his powers and they kind of have to figure out what's going on with the speed force i loved all the ideas in this book but the way they were implemented i didn't care for it was very jargon heavy there was some cool stuff with ollie being mad at uh wally for what happened to roy and whether he'd forgive him and then i like barry defended him like if it was the other way around you would go out of your way to defend Roy. And I'm like, yes, I like this, but it was very like overwritten. And I'm hoping that they can whittle that down. But I like all the pieces of this. I just don't think it was executed very well. Yeah. So, um, you know, I read this as well. Um, it was the beginning of a new story arc, new creative team, uh, on the book. I think, I'm not sure if you mentioned, uh, Jeremy Adams was the writer. Yes. And uh, who was the artist on this? Brendan Peterson. So I want to say the art was really nice. Oh, yeah. Some of the race scenes were fantastic. Um, I like the bit. So uh, I like the bit where Barry is talking about how he's done this before, where he's gone through the speed force to take someone's speed away from them, but never thought it was, you know, never had to do it to Wally, never thought he'd have to do it to Wally. And I like that relationship, of course. And I'm, I think I'm in agreement with you that there's a lot of good ideas in this book, but the problem is there's a lot of them. Right. And nothing really gets a chance to really get a foothold in the book. There's just, it's like, okay, there's this, there's this thing with the speed force of taking Wally's speed and then Wally gets thrown into the into the past and then he's time jumping to another then he jumps to the future again not a, i won't go any further than that he goes to the way far past prehistoric ages then he goes to the way far future um as he's attempting to get his speed back but everyone else has lost the speed then the president superman stuff if you're not reading all of the dc universe stuff 
maybe that doesn't make a lot of sense and they don't do a lot to help you out with that. I think they could have held off if they, and I get why it's in there, they could have held off on some of the Ollie stuff, the Green Arrow stuff. Mm-hmm. Just kept it Flash-centric. Maybe give us a little bit more hand-holding as a possible new reader coming in who hasn't been reading up on all the Omniverse stuff. I think this book would have felt a little bit more grounded, a little bit more not so many ideas all at once. Right. Because two of my favorite things were, one was Barry and Wally in costume walking through Central City talking. And they had, like, all the word balloons behind them, like, people speculating what was going on with the two flashes. And, like, you know, people not understanding everything. Like, oh, there's two flashes? Well, I think they're going to race. Well, I'm betting on this one. And I'm like, this is all really cool because that's the kind of town I think Central City is in my head. Yeah. It's not Gotham. It's different. So I like that. And I just like, that's a great idea. And then like when they are racing to get rid of, to take away the powers, like how they're helping people along the way. I'm like, this is really cool. Yeah. Like the, the Ollie stuff is too much early, but I do like, I think I see where they're going by who Wally is leaping into. If you will, I think that caveman might be like, not that they've established it yet, like the first speedster, because he has that like lightning bolt uh, birthmark over his eye. And then yeah. who he leaps into later, I'm like, okay, this can all work. This is all speculation kind of stuff in my brain. But like you said, then when there's too much, there's not anything to to focus on for any given amount of time. I'm totally with you. And I, I'm willing to give this a chance. And I hope he can whittle stuff down. But I do like the the fun, like Wally being fun for the first time in what almost seven years whatever so right i'm gonna keep going but i know you probably will probably won't no like i said i i dipped my toe in the waters it was what it was you know mm-hmm. uh so the book i read looking forward to most was uh beta ray bill number one uh by daniel warren johnson and uh written by daniel warren johnson mm-hmm and I'll say, uh, Darren, I'm sorry, Daniel Warren Johnson, where you been all my life? Um, you've been in cable books, apparently, which explains a lot. <laughs> so uh, this book is in the midst of King and Black stuff. And I didn't want to bite on the cover, you know, because a lot of times what's on the cover isn't necessarily what's going on in the book. But uh, if I was a mega bazillion gazillionaire, I absolutely would buy that two-page splash of Beta Ray Bill fighting a nulled-out Fin Fang (laughs) Foo, because that's a beautiful two-page spread there, baby. Mm -hmm. Uh, But this is essentially how, uh, I guess you would say, Beta Ray Bill is the forgotten, maybe the least looked upon or least respected of the Thor-related people, hammer wielders, whatever you want to call them, as he's having this big knockdown drag-out battle with Fin Fang Foom. Thor shows up kind of like to help clean things up at the very end, and he's the one who gets all the glory. Is right. Um And this book is more so about the beginnings of the pathos of a character like Beta Ray Bill and him attempting to forge his own past or his own path, maybe out of Thor's shadow. Right. Uh, but I really like this. I thought there was a lot of good concepts in there. Uh, like I said, I think I've always been a fan of the visual 
um, the design and everything of Beta Ray Bill, but I don't think he was a character that had a ton uh, that I really could hang my hat on as a character or understanding of him. And I think this did a very good job of going a long way with that, with some of those flashbacks to his origin, uh, the fight that he has with Thor before he leaves, that sort of thing. But I really, I really like this. Um, I really like this episode. I'm not a Beta Ray Bill like fan. Like, like you kind of, I'm kind of in the same boat that you are. Um, I'm just going to go down before I get to the story. I was not a fan of the art. Really? I love the art in this. Oh my goodness. I thought the art looked a little. All right. Well, Fing Fang Foom is going to look like Fing Fang Foom. So I have no problem with it, with them there, but there was just like, kind of like when he was doing his SIF and stuff like that. To me, it looked like something that should have been out of Mad Magazine, if that makes any sense. Sure. And not, not in a good way at times. I'm just like, I, I, didn't, I didn't like it. But the whole thing with Beta Ray, like getting his, like his, uh, like the origin of how he became, and as a kid, and his relationship with Scuttlebutt the ship, I, I really liked all of that. And I like his whole thing with Sif only likes Beta Ray Bill a certain way. And I'm like, okay, this is really cool. And his quest to go find someone to rebuild. I'm like, I love, I, I really like all this, but like I said, the art really puts me off, but that's just me. Yeah. So we're going to definitely differ there because I, I really dug the art in this. I guess I get where you're coming from with the mad magazine idea of it, mm-hmm. but I think a character who's the, fu- if Beta Ray Bill wasn't the lead character in this book. I don't think you can get away with an art style like this. Mm-hmm. But I think the art style fits him as the lead character. And if that ends up being a sacrifice on maybe some of the other characters not looking as pretty, um, I think I'm okay with that. Right. And that's what I mean. He does a great Beta Ray Bill. Yeah. But the humans, not or the Asgardians, not so much. Right. Uh, but yeah, I, I really liked it. Definitely check it out. Uh, like I said, Flash I thought was good too. It's just maybe a little bit too much in that first issue in, you know? I agree. So that's what we read this past week. Let's get into what we're looking forward to coming out this week. Uh, if you head over to longboxheroes.com, every Tuesday around noon Eastern time, we put up the poll post, which is a link to a link to all the books that are coming out this week. Whether you get your books in print, whether you get them digitally, whether you get them shipped to your home, whether you order them now in the hopes that they actually come out in November, be forewarned, be forearmed, know what's coming out this week. Let's not worry about seven months from now. That's up to That's my job. Uh, Todd and I attempt to guess what the other is most looking forward to coming out this week. Uh, we're currently knotted up at eight correct guesses apiece. And I'm looking at your list, which is a little bit bigger than mine. And I'm going to say the book you're most looking forward to coming out this week is Suicide Squad number two. It is not Suicide Squad number two. Okay. It is Giger number one, the book about the artist who created the aliens by Jeff Johns and Gary Frank. Or it's called Geiger. I'm not. Wait a minute. I don't think that's what that book's about. It's no, it's about a it's about a guy who survives a nuclear apocalypse. Yeah, so I'll that was I'll say this. That was my second guess. Right. Um but I wasn't sure how strongly you felt about that one. Um uh because of the fact that it's very interesting. I think we might, I don't know if we discussed it because it all blurs sometimes or if I discussed it with somebody else. The whole idea of Jeff Johns that I don't know of him ever doing an independent book at all. 
like a creator owned book. I know he know he did some stuff for Marvel. He did, did a lot for DC. Just the whole idea of him going in a, in a in a world where there's nothing else to rely on, no crutches. It's all him. No nostalgia. I, I'm very curious, like to see, especially about Jeff Johns being the DC guy, having a book and image. You know, yeah. <laughs> just it just fascinates me. Absolutely. Um, I'm looking over your list. Is the book you're looking forward to most? I, I'm going to take a swing and say uh, Geiger also. No. It's uh, Immortal Hulk. It's Immortal Hulk number 45. Um, you know, this was a big heavy hitter week. Geiger's uh, on the list. Um, King in Black number five, like the penultimate issue of that. Um, and Immortal Hulk, but a lot of times, you know... Always bet on Immortal Hulk. It was one of those things where I got Suicide Squad wrong. I'm like, oh, Todd's going to get me, and he's going to pull it ahead. Yeah. Uh, all right, no. so that's good. Um, I'm playing yeah, fast. I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to Giger for the same reasons that you are. Right. I'm playing fast and loose. Uh, I'm, le- I'm, I'm throwing these picks so it can make it, you know, very uh, close to the end, you know? So you say that when you lose, but when you get it right, you're like, I have uh, – <laughs> detailed information about Joe and his decision-making processes and the, the phases of the moon and how that affects things. And when certain books aren't included in his pull list and are you how that affects I, his mood. Are you saying I'm very Bobby, the brain Heenan like Joe, I would say, um, you're Bobby, the brain Heenan in the early days when he was more of a bleeder than a joke teller, but yes. <laughs> okay. All right, Gorilla. But anyway. So let me see. Okay, so uh, while you're over at longboxheroes.com, be sure to check out all the other stuff that Todd and I have done together, whether it be past episodes of this show, past episodes of Longbox Heroes After Dark, or the ongoing saga uh, in many ways of Todd and Joe Have Issues for 2021. I'm reading the mid-2000s Jonah Hex run by the aforementioned Jimmy Palmiotti and Justin Gray. Todd is reading uh, a selection of clones, Spider-Clone Saga. I still have to get used to saying Spider-Clone Saga because there's another clone saga that somehow is worse than this one. What? That's impossible. Uh, so let, let's start here with Jonah Hex number 22. Uh, art by Phil Noto, who I've been enjoying as the artist on this. And you said this is one of, one of uh, the last issues that he does. I believe so. There may be one more. I'm not 100% sure, but it's very close to the last. So I don't want to give this issue short shrift, but I want to make, I want to do a little bit here at the beginning, right? Oh, good. A bit. So this is not a Jonah story that we've read before, but it's definitely of the Jonah template story that we've read before. Where Jonah meets X, who tells him about Y. Jonah has to go to Z to get Y. It's at that point where Z tells him that X was lying. Jonah doesn't immediately believe him. Then there's a shootout. Now Jonah believes Z. Wrap everything up. Right. And, again, is that a normal template for most Western-y type tales? Sure. <laughs> But it's the it's the X and the Y and the Z that's all involved in this, right? Right. Now, I know a lot of Jonah stories, they give you like a year at least, right? This one doesn't. 
But I don't think they need to give you a year because the principals in this story are Thomas Edison and uh, uh, what's the other guy from the current war? Uh, Nikola Tesla. Yep. So Jonah is hired uh, by a man who built a steam-powered robot man. And the steam-powered robot man and the plans for it were stolen. And this guy is very much of the alternating current lifestyle. <laughs> and is found out that it's uh, Edison, the one who probably stole it because someone absconded with it, whatever. So Jonah ends up showing up there. Edison has, like, this, like, little fortified city that's built. Uh, Jonah goes in. Edison kind of is like, oh, yes, I know why you're here. It's because, you know, my old ward or whatever it was stole these plans, and he's trying to pass them off as his own. Come on, sit down and have some dinner with me. I'll get you the proof that, you know, shows that I'm correct. And he gets the proof, and Jonah's like, how do I know you didn't just, like, whip this up, like, when I showed up here? And he's like, eh, it probably would have taken me a lot longer than, like, however long it is we're eating dinner here. And he's like, okay, you have a point. Then the guy, And then there's a bunch of people that come to invade Edison's stuff. Jonah assists them, you know, fending them off. And, you know, Jonah's like, oh, you're not that bad of a guy there, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't really happen in the book, but I wish it did. Right. Um, I really like this. Um, I wasn't sure how I would feel about Jonah interacting with actual like real people mm -hmm. does that make any sense right with with non-fictional characters with like non legitimate historical like, people under normal circumstances your marvel or your dc would be like oh here's our thomas edison analog and here's our nicholas tesla analog it's like no here's nicholas tesla here's, here's thomas edison we're rolling right right um, but it's just a lot of, you know, Jonah being this episode, this episode, this issue exposed Jonah as being a little bit smarter than he ever lets on. Yeah. Or at least like that world, the, the street smarts that he has um, kind of makes him a lot smarter than probably probably people in his world give him credit for. I agree. I like the fact, too, that this is might be the first mention of Jonah being um, other than like, uh, like in his own comic. Cause he was in justice league and stuff like that. And in hex, like he mentions Gotham city. Like I've seen the lights of Gotham city and I'm like, okay, that's kind of cool. And I like the fact that he ends up discussing almost in a philosophical way about how the world is changing with Edison. And he's like, and he, he knows he's not ready for it. He's like, I'm, I'm not built for this new world and I'm going to kind of like struggle against it all the way through. And I'm like, I really like that. And Noto's art, um, I know you got this digitally and I have the physical format. And that was one of the big things that I want to say about the differences. If I showed you the physical art, Joe, that this art, like this is one of the worst colored books in the history of comics or they muddied it or made a printing mistake. It's almost impossible to see anything in the physical uh, copy the really? digital the digital version is when i was like oh let me check out the digital version to see what joe's reading and i did and it's much much better like you can make out details i didn't know if they were when i originally read the book i thought they were going for 
because Edison invented the light bulb. Not trying to be funny that this is a dark world, and I wasn't sure if he invented the light bulb yet until they mentioned that he did in, in, in Gotham and everything. They had them. I thought they were going for, like, candlelight kind of a thing. But, man, I wish that they had actually reprinted this issue with the digital-looking art that you got to see because it's so much better. So much better. Now, you say that about the single issues, of course. I wonder if they did uh, a correction with the coloring in the uh, trades and stuff. Uh, they might have. I never. I, that's one of the things that makes me sad. I want. I wish I bought those trades back in the day. And now they're like, like you know how eBay goes when any book goes out of print. You know what I mean? Yeah. But so I can't check. But again, like I said, I I I feel as though I'm giving this a little bit of a short shrift. But it's just a lot of the discussion between Edison and Jonah, um, you know, about, like, how the world is moving forward. And, you know, as Todd mentioned, like, Jonah, like, knows it's coming, but maybe just not might not be ready for it. Mm -hmm. And writing a book like this where you're writing something that happens in the past, where the people of the past are talking about the future, you have the luxury of being in that future that they're talking about. So you can kind of lay the groundwork in that way. But like I said, I thought this was a really good issue. One of my favorite issues so far in the run. Cool. Glad. I like this issue too. So I'll turn things over to you for uh, Amazing Spider-Man number 400. Yep. Uh, written by Jam Maddie's art by Bagley. I'm going to say this. Will I ever say anything bad about that creative team together or separately? Nope. So... Let's just move on. I think we all know how I feel about this writer and this artist. I'm going to say, if you say it on this show, I'll edit it out. Right. No, it, they're, you know, Love Jam, Bagley's, Mount Rushmore, Spider-Man artists. I, I got no problem with that, you know. So, uh, the basically, uh, Aunt May is awake. And, you know, she wants to go home. Peter comes and visits her at the hospital. He's ecstatic about that. Uh you know, like maybe you shouldn't go home, but the doctors don't want you to. But no, she's like, I want to go home. Um, while that's like going on, Ben is peeking through the window, even though Ben or uh, Peter is like look, frowns upon it. Cause he's like, what if, you know, she, she sees you, you startle her. You can, you know, that's what he's thinking. And it's funny because like Ben's thinking the exact same thing. Like they're, they're almost like they're of the same mind a little bit, Joe. So uh, I found that interesting. And then Ben is thinking about, the past five years of his, of his life. And he's like, now that I was only here for Aunt May and she's better, what am I going to do? And he maybe catches a glimpse of Kane. And he's, and he's thinking like with everything going on, like it's uh, these last five years, why is Kane, you know, been after me? Just, just lots of going on with, you know, with that. Um, so we jump to J the Jackal is in Ravencroft doing his best Joker impersonation. Um, cause he's there to, to see something, but he's just messing with the guards at this point, buying his time. Aunt May has now is now home and he sees MJ and she immediately knows that she's pregnant because she could see it in their eyes and stuff like that. And the same way that she knew Peter's mom was pregnant back in the day. Um, and she ends up having a conversation with him. And my favorite part of this conversation was where she tells him that having a kid is a great responsibility, maybe the greatest responsibility you could ever had. And it's almost like Peter knows what that word means, responsibility. <laughs> Just like <laughs> listeners of this show know what opportunity means. Yeah, pretty much. So uh, 
I, I, I really did like that. And like, so MJ goes and takes Aunt May to bed. And while this is going, Ben, you know, comes into the house and he's, you know, Peter's like, no, you can't, you got to get out of here. Somebody might see it. And he's like, yeah, I'm leaving. But as, but first he discussed like remembering climbing the trees and having memories of, of being here, which is maybe a key in this issue is about memories kind of a deal. But he ends up saying that I'm leaving and I'm going for good. But Peter, this is your chance. Like take this run at happiness. Like you got, you got this and I'll never darken your doorstep again kind of a thing and Pete's like well if you ever need me he's like nope I'm going he kind of swings off then there's a scene with Aunt May and MJ talking alone and I really like this scene where MJ where Aunt May's telling MJ like relation the best relationship starts with friendship and she goes down like the history of Ben and and, or uh, Peter and MJ like we it took us a while to get you in the same room but then your friends he's like and that's what Ben and uh, Uncle Ben and, and uh, Aunt May were like she goes and I like the way she described it she goes sometimes I thought that man was the was perfection like you know personified then other times I thought he was the dumbest man God ever designed and I'm like I really like that that's a that that's something somebody in a long relationship would actually say and she says you're going to be fine because your your relationship was built on friendship a very touching moment between Aunt May and Mary Jane. I really like that. Um, so then Mary Jane comes downstairs and Peter is watching home movies and he's discussing like, man, I barely remember all this. And if it wasn't for these movies, I wouldn't remember it. And maybe like, and he starts getting philosophical about it by like, maybe Ben is just as, you know, valid as me kind of a deal. And MJ's like, he's not you, you're you, he's the copy kind of a thing. He's like, you never met him. Um, so that was kind of interesting. I like, again, the memories, thing coming through this um they cut away to judas traveler real quick his people are still watching peter and they're doing the the report i guess i forget what he called it but he's like i want your your paper on it and when i've researched this more um i'm kind of go i'm gonna see the the parker and riley and and see what's going on so like just touched on have no idea um ben's thinking he should have left but something's keeping him there and at this point, I got a little confused because he's packing his bag and, and he has a regular Spider-Man costume instead uh-huh. of a Scarlet Spider costume, which is weird because I'm confused about that. Shouldn't he be packing his nudie away? Am I- yes. Okay. There's uh, Maybe there's something that will come from this, but I didn't miss anything, right? No. Okay. So, but while he's doing it, he's like, eh, I should have really been gone. But something's nagging at him that he should stay. And he said, there were, if there was another voice, he goes, that would counter this, it would be Janine's, if I'm pronouncing that right, would tell him to stay, but she's dead. Who's Janine? Or have I met Janine and I can't remember? Nope, haven't met her yet. Okay, I was thinking it was maybe, remember when Ben got hurt and that woman came and saved him that was like in the in the hotel room next to him? Yep, that's not her. That's not her. All right, just thinking I forgot a name. So uh, I hope she didn't fall off a bridge and he wasn't able to save her. Oh, no. That would be terrible. But, uh, you know, so that's going on with that. While this is going on, um, Pod Peter's still running around some town, not knowing who he is. I, I don't know what what's going on there. Um, so they cut to Peter and Aunt May at the Empire State Building 
where apparently, like, you know, Uncle Ben had taken her many times as a date kind of a thing because they didn't have a lot of money. And they start talking. And this is when Aunt May drops a bombshell that she had always known that Peter was Spider-Man. And that's why she hated Spider-Man was because, you know, it was always the whole Aunt May is terrified of Spider-Man isn't because she's scared of him. It's because she's scared for Peter. Um, This is one of those revelations that I absolutely love in this issue as we get closer to the end of this issue. Um, that it's completely logical. The best writers do logical things like the whole thing with Peter David and Quicksilver in that issue. And I know I'm going to a a different book, but he's like, everybody hates Quicksilver. And he goes, you ever been in line behind somebody who's, you know, trying to at an ATM or a fast food restaurant and they're reading the menu and they're, and they're fooling around. How mad does that get you? Gets you very, very mad. He goes, now imagine that every second of every day, of, you know, for the rest of your life, we, how would you be made me understand Quicksilver much better and, and be, this made me appreciate Aunt more, even Aunt may even more. And it was a very logical conclusion. Like this work, this work to me whatsoever, especially what's going to happen to her in a few panels. I really like this because she gets weak and she collapses and Peter takes her home. But Peter's like, Oh, we're going to get you the doctor. And this is where, you know, it gets a little dusty in the room, Joe, because Aunt May's passing away and she starts telling him like, oh, this is our time, Peter, you know, and she she do- gives a great line where she's like, Peter, like, this is our time and we need to do it because you've never been good at goodbyes. And that's another quick, great line that describes Peter. Love it. And she's like, you know, we have our moment and Peter goes, you know, he's telling her like, oh, I almost died and you were my guide, blah, blah, blah. And the book and it comes back to Peter Pan and the second star on the left and straight on till morning. And she passes away while well, Ben's looking through the window and Aunt Anna's there and MJ in the background. Just totally sad, soul-crushing moment for Peter, for Ben too. Um, just amazing. Then they, you know, there's that whole thing with the falling star and it transitions into the shot above the funeral uh, Bagley at his finest, like showing you that the, a little time has passed. So I, I really like that. Um, and then they have the funeral that don't really need to know much about the funeral other than the soul crushing uh, tombstones that Aunt May says she taught us love. And then Uncle Ben said he was loved. And there's just that shot of it. Don't need anything else. You know, that's beautiful. They go home, they're having the the thing after the funeral, and Detective, what about me, what about Raven, arrests Peter for murder, and then, like, he's leaving, and MJ's like, you can't, you can't even, like, now, like, this is now, he's like, I'm sorry, man, we're taking him, and she's like, who do I call, I call Matt Murdock, no, he's dead, Um, do I call, I can't even remember his friend's name, all, like, legitimate great stuff. That's when Ben walks in, takes off the mask and says, it's time we talk face to face. Um, I don't know where the clone saga is going after this. I don't know what craziness is going to come, what time you're going to waste with this me, with me for this, but I love this issue. This is a great, beautifully drawn, beautifully written issue. Even though I know like the whole Aunt May thing probably doesn't stick wink Joe, in the future. Okay. 
but it but it works very very well in the moment. So rereading this here with 2021 eyes, mm-hmm. you could absolutely see the Judas Traveler bits, the Jackal bits, and especially the third Peter Parker uh, bits being absolutely removable from this. You think? Even so far as I know it was supposed to depict like sometime at night, but the the even though the whole book was done by Bagley, those pages of the third Peter just like feel like they were inked a little bit different. Yep. Okay. So it leads me to believe that maybe the Jackal wasn't going to be coming back this soon. Maybe the Judas Traveler stuff wasn't going to be coming back this soon. And maybe the third Parker clone was something that they added in there to extend things out further, right? Mm -hmm. So if we ignore those things of of this issue, you have a really great issue of a a Spider-Man comic, as you said. Outside of all the clones nonsense, but it works because, you know, Ben is here and he's the clone, right? Or Mm -hmm. maybe he's not, or maybe Peter's the clone. Or maybe neither of them are clones. Maybe neither. Of them maybe the, the third guy is. Definitely the the disposable, removable part of the book. Maybe he's the real one, right? Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, we get our cliffhanger that's been building over Detective uh, Jacob. What about me? What about Raven? Um, obviously, you and I know uh, Peter did not kill anyone in Colorado. Mm-hmm. But was it Ben? Was it one of these other clones? How did Peter get fingered for something that he didn't do very clearly, right? Right. And obviously, they're going to be able to prove it. You know, it's it, it, this was a different time in the 90s when this book was written. I'm sure that they could pull things to prove that there was no way Peter was in Colorado at that time. But it doesn't matter. He's still in jail. He's still under arrest, right? And at the worst possible moment. At the worst possible moment, right? Um... But the main crux of this is all the Aunt May stuff. And this would have been such a fantastic closer, a fantastic end for the Aunt May character. A a character who debuted in 1963 as an old woman, and here now with this book coming out in 1994, 1995, as an old woman. She can't be an old woman forever, but obviously she is. Um... This would have been a great closer for her and her character and everything that she stood for in Peter's world until she wasn't. Mm-hmm. Todd. Yes? Uh, some eight issues prior when Aunt May slipped into a coma. This was pre-Clone uh, Saga stuff. This was the stuff that I mentioned where, like, Peter was becoming the spider and he was, like, kind of regressing a little bit more into a darker personality and stuff, right? Mm-hmm. That's when Aunt May slipped into the coma. That was maybe like two issues before we start reading Amazing Spider-Man. That's where it happens. Um, it was at that time we would later find out, and when I say later, 12 years later, that Norman Osborn, who's dead, replaced Aunt May with an actress. Right. Who he genetically altered to bear the exact resemblance to Aunt May. Now, and he did all of this to mess with Peter. Right. Which, I mean, he's his greatest villain, Joe. Of course he would. 
Dr. Octopus is Peter's greatest villain. Um, that being said, the revelation that this is just an actress years later takes so much of the teeth out of this issue. Mm-hmm. And it takes away that bit that you mentioned that Aunt May knew. Because when Aunt May returns 12 years later in our time, she doesn't know. Right. Because it was the actress who knew. Now, this gets into the whole thing of, like, how did the actress know? How did the actress know all this personal information about both of them? How did the actress know, like, all the history of all of these people? It's a lot of fancy attempting to retcon because someone at Marvel Editorial 10, 12 years later decided we need Aunt May back in the books. Right. And I I hate it. You hate the the retconning of her coming back? I hate the retcon. The retcon hasn't even happened, but reading this reminds me that it does happen. So do you think Aunt May is probably the worst person, the worst brought back dead character ever? 100%. Mm. I would lean towards Barry, but I'm going to say, as we talked earlier about Flash, but um, I was never a fan of Barry coming back. I thought, as for a lot of the reasons that you say that it takes the teeth out of stuff, uh, Barry's that one. But I, with M.A., and that's why I try to explain, like, as we were going on, I mean, I know you're going to spoil a, you know, a 30-year-old issue. Um, I was like, in the moment, you know what I mean? In the moment kind of a thing. Like, as I'm reading, I'm like, this still holds up, even even 100% knowing that they're going to they're gonna botch this 12 years later. Yeah. Um, just so good. And like I said, it, there are a whole bunch of questions. So do you think, because you've read Life of Riley or whatever that was. Is yeah. this where the reveal was supposed to happen? I don't know. But it definitely feels as though this is where um, there this should have been at least the, you know, um, I don't recall. I think the the murder stuff was supposed to happen because there was supposed to be the reveal who does the murder. Mm-hmm. But I don't think it was supposed to be like the third red herring. I don't think the jackal was supposed to be sticking around as long as he was. Um, there's the bit in there where Judas Traveler, you know, talks to one of his underlings and says like, oh, um, you know, while you have a familiarity with me, that doesn't give you the reason to speak to me in that way. You know, obviously know the powers I have and what I can do sort of thing. And I would be remiss not to point out uh, that we get to see all of Judas Traveler's underlings in this, except for Scryer. Scryer is not here. Right. Maybe it pays off. Maybe it doesn't. Right. And here's my take, because now I've completely changed my tune, honestly, because I'm asking you, is that 400 was supposed to be the reveal in the end? Um, because I do believe like reading this, the detective, what about me? What about Raven? Like that stuff was supposed to go on further. Um, whether it was the reveal or not, I believe the spider clone had some, had saga, had some legs left in it. Not much. We were, we would get the end very soon, but I, I believe, like you said, they added the couple of spots to move things along that weren't supposed to be there, a la Pod Peter and some other things. This was supposed to be a standalone story, and then we would get an epilogue to clear Peter's name, but also say Peter wasn't the real uh, the real Peter, if you get what I mean. Um, so it kind of changes my view on 
how this story was structured, that it would end faster. It would end in a few issues, but not here. I don't know if I'm making any sense. Yes, you are. And uh, that leads me to believe like when I have so many questions when it's over uh, about all this, when our thing of it was supposed to Ben Riley was supposed to be the real one. And Peter and MJ were supposed to be, or it was uh, Peter was going to be the clone and they were going to swap lives. And I have so many questions on how that was going to work, but I think I'll do that as a tease for, Oh, I don't know. Seven months out. Uh, so let me look at what we have coming up next. Mm. And I might be able to give you an idea of at least when we're going to hit that. Um, so for next week, uh, Todd and Joe have issues. We just got one issue of Jonah Hex and that's Jonah Hex number 23. And for Spider-Man, we have just one issue and that's Spider-Man 57, right? Oh, good. So if I'm looking at this correctly, um, when we get to, yeah, I think it goes on. So I feel as though when we get to maximum clonage and we'll get there, right? (laughs) Right. There's a lot of extra bits in there that almost feel as though are disposable. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, like that feels tacked on or tacked in. Uh, there's a lost years mini series that I feel as though maybe possibly kind of sort of crucial. Um, but we get to when the Dan Jurgens since, uh, sensational Spider-Man number zero launches, right? Right. Which is in this story's continuity is about seven issues from now okay right so seven months later when that launches in actual time is when it was supposed to be closed up okay but i feel as though in the midst of this as we get there there's going to be at least two maybe three story arcs that were thrown in to pad things out that doesn't sound like the spider saga to clone saga to me at all and i say at least <laughs> I think I think it's like ones that end up being crucial that we end up reading, and there's at least two that I didn't include because I'm like this is not essential in any way, shape, or form. You know what? I'm really glad now. Like I was like, oh, did did I waste picking Jonah Hex against like you know the the the, the very storied uh, clone saga. And I'm like, no, you know what? There's something sweet about reading Jonah Hex after reading a clone saga story, where it's a very straightforward in your face story. (laughs) No bait and switches, you know, no, like, Oh, you had it wrong the whole time. Oh, I feel much better, much, Uh much better. So. Oh, good times, Joe. All right. So while you're over at longboxheroes.com. Uh, as mentioned, uh, you could check out our store where you could buy shirts and pins and stickers with our fancy logos on them. Uh, you can even head over to our T Public store where you could buy our fancy logo, uh, other logos inspired by uh, Longbox Heroes After Dark, Add Odds with Wrestling, and uh, uh, Final Wrestling Place, which are all part of Soon to Be Named Network, Soon to Be Named Network.com, all the other shows there. I didn't do the plug earlier because we got off and talking about old comic book shops, <laughs> as we are wont to do. 
this uh, Wednesday and Thursday is 35% off over at the Tee Public Store, so be sure to check that sort of stuff out. Uh, you can also help us out by signing up for our Patreon. For as little as a dollar a month, uh, you get two bonus episodes from Todd and I. Uh, one, Previewing the Past, where we look at uh, that month, 30 years ago's previews catalog, and the six never-seen movies, where I pick six movies for Todd uh, to watch that he's never seen. He picks six for me to watch and uh, next week we'll reveal what the movie he picked for me is going to be uh, as we get there. Um, I think we had a new patron sign up this week. I'm looking to go into my uh, inbox here to see this. Uh, Thank you very much, Chris Shirley, uh, for signing up uh, to the patron. I hope you enjoy everything that we have to offer over there. And uh, when we record uh, Previewing the Past this week, uh, I think we're going to put up, uh, we're going to give it a try again to put up, like, all the scans of the issue of previews for you to check out as well, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, Another way that you can help us out, of course, is by making any and all of your purchases at Amazon through our Amazon click-through over at the top of the page at longboxheroes.com. They call it an advertising fee. I call it the thing that makes Todd happy at the end of the month when he gets his cut of the advertising fee. Some of the notable purchases through the Amazon click-through this past week include uh, Swiffer Wet Jet Cloth Refills. Um, When you actually, when I read this, when you sent it to me, I thought it said Swiffer Wet Coffin refills. Oh, okay. <laughs> Which I didn't think was a thing till I reread it. I was like, okay, I'm right. I'm right. It's not. It's that's not a thing. I'm not sure why you're refilling a coffin. I'm not sure why <laughs> it would be wet, but there you go. Right. Uh, somebody also purchased a Timex Fairfield nylon slip through strap watch. Uh, somebody also purchased Sun Belt Bakery chocolate chip granola bars. Somebody also purchased two pairs of Brooklyn Athletic Slim Fit Jogger Pants, which I think is just a fancy word for sweatpants. Uh, Somebody also purchased the Funko Marvel Collector Core subscription box uh, relating to Black Widow. Um, I don't know if this is just them repurposing the May 2021 that was supposed to come out when Black Widow was supposed to come out last year. (laughs) Right. Or that it's been there the whole time and you could still buy it. I'm not really sure how getting the subscription boxes through a secondary seller works. Uh, and somebody also purchased a bunch of Play Monster Snap Ships. Um, Sawfy Claw, Scarab Claw, Wasp Claw. I don't know what these things are, but they look pretty cool. Right. Uh, you know, being a toy boy in training, uh, this is something that's out of my purview, you know? You don't see them on your doll safari. I do not. I don't see it. Listen, the stores around here, I don't see much anything on my doll safaris. Uh, so, Todd, did we have any art attacks this week? We did from Jesse uh, DeYoung. Um, he said, looking through art from five years ago and came across these that I did as a part of a pro- project of mixing two things, Peanuts and Dance, Sci-Fi and a Ray Park, Fast Food and the Moon, 
and a puppy in Play-Doh. And I'm looking over these and I'm laughing to myself. I'm like, I hope the Hamburglar doesn't get bitten by that radioactive moon or that'd be a moon, a moon night tie in. But uh, these are all cool. Like he has like little things. I like the puppy eating out of the Play-Doh uh, container. Um, some cool pieces, you know. Uh, I'll say, especially on the Hamburglar one, mm-hmm. I love seeing the, and again, I don't want to say brush strokes because I have a feeling he just did these kind of sort of with like your normal run of the mill, maybe a step up markers, you know? Right. Uh, but the fact that you could see like the ink lines, like the heavy like shading as he did his own coloring on those, you know? Right. Uh, but yeah, really good stuff there, Jesse. You could definitely tell it's not digital and um, digital coloring. I mean, uh, also I had an art attack this week, Joe. Um, this came in today when I, obviously when I posted and it's a biggie, the cover to the Ginny Hex special by Nick Derrickton, who also created her another piece for my art exhibition in my hall of hex. Um, yeah. So when I saw this cover pop up, um, I may have thrown lots and lots of money at it, Joe, um, just to, to get it. Um, so uh, this was, I, I stumbled on the year of fiscal finance, uh, whatever uh, Adam calls it. I can't think the, of it. The right. year of fiscal responsibility. Right. I can't even pronounce it. That's how bad I am at it, Joe. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I picked it up and I ended up putting it like what the actual cover looks like to, uh, you know, get an idea. So. So I look at this, of course, and I see his original piece. Mm-hmm. If it, if this makes sense, is smaller than what ends up getting printed, right? Because the signature is cut out on the on the actual cover. Yeah, well, they put, moved it. They moved the signature, right? But it's also there with uh, the guy who colored it. So right, right. But yes, they cr- basically they cropped it for the cover. Yeah, yeah. So it's weird to see it cropped. You know, an original piece, obviously, that ends up being digitally colored, I would assume. Yes. Um, And hey, this is a cover of not a rookie, not her first appearance, but definitely a rookie appearance of Mm -hmm. a new legacy character of arguably one of your top three favorite characters of all time. So um, uh, that's a really cool purchase. I'm super jealous of you, of... uh, being able being able to swing something like this, you know? Right. I'll say just a couple of things. Like, yes, it may not be her rookie appearance, but I think it's her rookie solo cover, Joe. So I'll take oh. that. <laughs> and I'm a sucker for that. I mean, there's a lot of detail on this. She has the she has the chest that has all the stuff that Jonah left her, kind of a thing with all the looks like she's holding like like a ray gun, which might be like an old Adam Strange gun. I love that. But I I'm a sucker for that Texas belt buckle. That I'm, I absolutely love that. Yeah, so I love this piece. Um, once again, it's hidden away in my portfolio where nobody else can see it but me. I'm that kind of art hoarder. So, yeah. You don't have the wing built yet of the displaying all these things, like the guy who's going to do the traveling art show of all the king and black stuff? No, one of these days, me, uh, our good buddy DJ, and the guy you want to rob his house, we're gonna we're gonna get together and do an art podcast while we frame um, pieces of our artwork. So, I I don't think it's actually gonna happen, but I am trying. Well, I can't rob uh, that guy's house anymore, our friend Josh, because I don't want to say that he's bribing me with a family heirloom, but he's bribing me with a family heirloom. Um, I thought he was giving you a cursed piece of uh, history. <laughs> Listen, so, like, when I get it, 
and I have it in my hands and I share it with the world, uh, you, the listeners, could be the judge of whether it's a family heirloom uh, that's priceless or, as Todd says, the monkey's paw of movie memorabilia from 1990. Right. When your house is covered with locusts when you get it. Don't cry to me, Joe. <laughs> oh, my goodness. All right. So I think that's everything for the main show, right? I believe so. Uh, again, this coming in at a slender read of a show here. Oh, you said you were going to cut the time on this one, Joe. And I lied. Oh, of course you lied. Pun intended, how quick are we going to be able to get through the Flash, Winter Soldier, and the Falcon? I could go right through the Flash real quick if you want. Uh, sure, go for it. I'll let you kick this one off. The Flash was really boring this week. Let's move on. All right. No, I got, I got, (laughs) so we're, you were right last week that all those funky lightnings, um, were, you know, the new different, like, forces mm-hmm. strength and whatever else being out there right um, we get that new villain psych who i loved how bad his design was right uh because his design was really bad um but i loved it because of how bad it was we get the deal where now that is the flash's mother but it's not the flash's mother it's the living embodiment of the Speed Force who just looks like the Flash's mother. She took the the the, the look of Flash's mother, Barry's mother to, I guess, yeah. make him feel better. I don't know, because he was sad, Joe. Yeah, she looks very much like my friend Brian's wife, so it tripped me <laughs> right. up. I forgot that that's who that was supposed to be. Um, we get, like, heavy Cecile stuff, whereas to combat the villain, uh, they put her in the... Uh, what was it? The, 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 not, I want to say Hector Hammond, but it wasn't Hector Hammond. Uh, who was the villain? I'll save you whenever you want. Go ahead. The thinker. I I wanted to say the thinker, but I didn't think that was, I didn't think that was correct. Uh, so they put her in the thinker's chair, uh, Hmm. in the hopes to be able to combat psych, the new villain. She's concerned, of course, because when, uh, he went into it, DeVoe, he became like a super evil villain. And they're like, no, no, that won't happen to you. We're not going to explain why it won't happen to you, but it just won't. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we get the bit with uh, Caitlin and Frost being separated, how uh, Caitlin's trying to figure out a way to get them back together. Frost is attempting to sabotage, keeping them apart. We get someone who shows up from Gotham City who's maybe lying about her credentials and why she's there. Joe calls her out and she's there to arrest uh, the noted supervillain Killer Frost. Yep. And they, I don't know if you know this in this episode, Joe, they, uh, Cisco named the strength force person Fuerza. I don't know if you heard that. It was Fuerza because it might have been Fuerza because they said Fuerza 57 times in that one scene because I think they were really trying to get it across. Though I will admit it worked because I had no idea what it was beforehand, but I was like, Oh my God, stop saying Fuerza. And then they did it to a lesser extent with Psych, but Psych's a word like people have like is, is in their, you know, vo- vocabulary. So I'm like, oh, just Cisco with the name with it and just beating it, just beating it. So you know what it was, was absolutely killing me. I like the Killer Frost stuff. I like the Cecile stuff. Cecile as like the goofy, like fun hero, like trying 
um, is all fun. But then I get sad every time they're like, oh, and, you know, Ralph is in France. And I'm like, I miss Ralph. I miss Ralph a lot. But like I said, I, I, I'm not a, I was I wasn't a fan of the force stories in the comics and I'm not going to be a fan here. I think especially I'm kind of kind of like on this season of flash already. Now are these people uh Fuerza and psych are these from the flash comic? Or are these wholly created for uh, the TV show? Nope. They're from whatever the run was a few years ago with the bringing in the forces. Fuerza is, Someone who is the character. And I want to say in the comic, Fuerza, and I like translated it online, means force. But it it may also, whatever country she was from, I think they were saying it translates to powerhouse. So she's there. And then the other character who has the, his ability was to read minds, I think. And, 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 and not so much the fear thing. That he was, and he was straight up psych, but he didn't have the Japanese demon helmet, if you want. He just had a regular glass kind of like biker helmet kind of a thing. So I laugh at the the effect and the the terror effect that he was doing didn't work always so much. The only time it worked was with Cecile, with the person in the in the straitjacket. That was freaky to me. Yeah, yeah. Everything else was 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 weird. And I didn't, I thought Cisco got the short shrift when they all had their visions and Cisco was like, this is how it ends. And um, so then they show Killer Frost and Caitlin being like, oh, you know, she didn't go to jail because of Caitlin. And Flash was worried the city was going to be destroyed. But when they asked Cisco what he said, he was like, oh, it was just me and my girlfriend went sideways. I think that's a total red herring and whatever his vision is is going to show up later um, to terrify him, if you know what I mean. I think that was real bizarre the way they did. Or it's just really crappy writing. 50-50 chance on one or the other. Yeah, this this was one of those deals where everyone gets to see their fears. And I understand, like, oh, it's my fear. I don't want to share my fear with you. But, you know, in whether as a watcher of the show or the time, however time moves in the TV show, you guys have been together for seven seasons now. Let's open up to each other. We're all friends here. Let's work together. Let's share what we saw. Maybe there's some sort of commonality that we could use to help ourselves in the future. Mm-hmm. And that's why I like the Caitlyn uh, Killer Frost thing ended quickly because Caitlyn's just just so bad at things. She yeah. busted up the, the Firestorm Matrix. And then within a few minutes, Caitlyn... And Killer Frost sat down, discussed things, and worked it out, which is completely the opposite of the Flash formula. It usually right. goes on for a few weeks, you know? Yeah. But I like the episode a little bit better than you did. Not the yep. best, but I get where you're coming from. Right. Uh, so, Falcon Winter Soldier this week. Yep. We get a lot of introduction of stuff, a lot of discussion of stuff. They go and break Zemo out of the German prison that he's in mm-hmm. um, because the super soldier serum is out there. That's what um, Carly and her group, the Flag Smashers, have. And I'll get back to Carly here shortly. Um, we they, uh, Zemo has them all impersonating uh or has sam impersonate someone 
was it Blind Tiger? What's the... I forget, but he's a real character in the Marvel Universe. I looked oh. that up. Okay, okay. So he has him impersonate him, and he has Bucky act as though he's still the uh, programmable weapon for hire Winter Soldier as they go to this uh, underground town in Madripoor trying to find information about this. The person who is making the super soldier serum, Sharon Carter comes back into things. They find the guy who's making the super soldier serum, or at least who was making the super soldier <laughs> serum. He was someone who kind of got blinked away and came back. There's a lot of talk about the power broker, which is interesting. And, uh, you know, fake cap and Battlestar are also attempting to track things down. <laughs> And uh, I think fake cap is starting to break a little bit as maybe what Bucky and Sam are doing is starting to get to him. Well, let's just put it this way. I'm going to start with the uh, with uh, uh, U.S. agent. Um, at no point in Cap's history should he ever say, do you know who I am? And when he says that to somebody like to the people that he's busting, I'm like, nope. He's already, he was liking the attention too much, you know, on Good Morning America. And do you know who I am? I'm like, Steve would never do this. So already I'm, I kind of don't know where it's going with uh, John, but I kind of like that they're showing the cracks in the armor, at least if you will. Um, Sharon showing up, I loved, but man, did she get the, the crappy end of the stick where everybody's getting like, Winter Soldier gets a pardon, but, like, nobody looked into Sharon, like, helping Sharon out. I was like, if I was Sharon, I wouldn't be helping Winter Soldier and Bucky or uh, Falcon. I'd be like, go it on your own. But she, she's, you know, she's Sharon. So I'm like, okay, I want to see how this goes. But I thought that was an interesting take. And then I just want to talk about Zemo for a second as one, um, he knows how to dance at a rave. That's my favorite scene in the whole thing is him pumping his fist a little bit, getting down to the music was fun, but him hating superheroes because of what happened to his family is great. Him totally, you know, logical shooting the guy who created the super serum, the super soldier serum again, recreated it. But um, I think there's no hard feelings between Zemo and, and Bucky. He even said it. He's like, ah, no hard feelings. Nothing was personal. And I think he's going to be the one person that has the super soldier serum in his veins that Zemo's not going to try and kill at any point in these six episodes. I'm, I'm almost a hundred percent sure of that. What do you think, Joe? Uh, Zemo is always evil. Mm -hmm. And I understand that the enemy of my enemy is my friend. But I think Bucky's making a mistake here in giving Zemo any sort of rope to put around all of their necks. I agree. I'm like, this is going to end completely badly. And it was nice to find out that Zemo is a baron in this. <laughs> the scene where he kind of breaks off from them. We're at that, we're at that shipping yard with all the little storage units and whatever. Mm -hmm. And he goes and... He kind of breaks off from them after there's the big explosion and he goes and he puts his TV version of his mask on, mm -hmm. takes a couple shots, but then takes it off. I'm like, why is this scene in here? Like, why is this scene of him putting the mask on? Well, didn't he fight them all with the mask on? No. He so he, he has the mask off. Only, he only puts the mask on for like a minute of screen time in this episode. 
See, that's not the way I remember it. I remember him, him doing it and then like using the the using like guns and killing a whole bunch of people and then taking the mask off when it was over when he found the car. Right, but uh, so what I say is like why couldn't he have just shot those people with his mask off? Because then he couldn't do all the flips and twists and he'd have to see the stuntman's face. Uh. I don't know. There's something weird there. But like when he grabbed the, the mask, like you're supposed to think, maybe we'll get some backstory. And his father was the original Baron Zemo, you know, who wore that. Right. And then the jacket that he's wearing has like the fur on mm-hmm. it. Like with the specs, like the, the Zemo costume does. Right. Um, I'm a Zemo fan, but it was just like, oh, the mask felt a little forced. Um, where do the three of them, uh, Sam, uh, Bucky and Zemo, they go to, and then Bucky notices the, uh, the beads, the Komodo bead, the Komoyo beads. I forgot how you pronounce them. Right. Uh, from Wakanda and notices that, uh, one of the Wakandan soldiers are there to take down Zemo. Right, it's one of the I forget how the the Majare or whatever. Yeah, um, yeah, I don't know where they. Are. I think they might be Germany or something. I forget. Right, because they're all over the place in this. And again, we kind of give a little bit of a short shrift. There's like a B plot in here with uh, a family member of Carly who passes away, and she gets like this whole big scene where she gets to kind of explain like why they're doing what they're doing. It's so that you know people like that woman who died shouldn't have to die and don't have to die going forward. Um, so I understand that she's like the villain of the piece. Well, she was supposed to, you were supposed to have feel like uh, empathy for, her, and then when she does what she does at the end, just murders a bunch of people. You kind of, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. No, no. I, and I get that. You know, you get like a little bit of duality that she's willing to make these, like she, she gives this speech to the guy you know, I don't know if they're supposed to be lovers or whatever it is that their relationship is supposed to be, but she gives him this speech and it's supposed to be like this sympathetic thing. And then when she acts against like her own words, I get what it's supposed to do. Right. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if I'm supposed, it's because I'm an old, but she like just looks so much like a little kid. Yep. It's, it's because very difficult for me to take her seriously. No, I get you. It's kind of way, and, and to jump to another thing, it's kind of like when I was watching the, the Joss Whedon cut of, of Justice League, seeing Ezra Miller as Flash, and I'm like, what is he, 12? Right. You know, you're you're going to try and do this, the, the, the scientist, police scientist, and he looks like he has his first chemistry set, you know? But that may be because I'm old. I, I don't know. But I get what you're saying. It's tough sometimes when they have that baby face to take them to for them to seem worldly, if that makes any sense. Right. But I do want to say that I'm mad at Disney Plus because at one point, like where they go to sh- where the flag smashers are, they were in Lat Latveria or Latvia. Latvia. And I marked out. But then I really read what they were saying. I was like, did they just drop uh, Dr. Doom's town here? No, oh, no, it's the real country. And then they did it again. And I had to, you know, I had to like breathe into a paper bag for a minute. (laughs) And then look, I'm like, don't do that again, people. Don't fake me out. Unless you're putting the actual spelling to Dr. Doom's hometown. Don't do that. I really thought it was, they were going there for a second. Right. No, no, don't get your hopes up, you. Okay. 
you're going to ruin your enjoyment of the rest of this, you know? Right, I got to make the bar way too high. Yeah. Uh, so I like this. Um, you know, Zemo is kind of, I don't want to say uneven, but, like, is he supposed to be this, like, master planner? Is he supposed to be this super serious killer? Or is he supposed to be a guy who looks like the third extra on Sprocket's fist-pumping to some techno music? Hey. It's the duality is- man. Oh, that gif is going to be my new favorite gif. Oh. That every time you do something I like, you're getting fist pumping Zemo. All right. I did I did show that to uh, the family today as, you know, my wife once in a while will act like, she, like not only does she care what I do on these podcasts, like she's going to understand any of this stuff. Mm-hmm. Not to say that, you know, it's just like we're so deep into the woods on this sort of thing, you know, to try to explain like, well, here's the reason why the Predator book is being delayed seven months. And, like, her <laughs> oh eyes immediately God. just glaze over, right? Is that when she just starts nodding at you and you could see it in her head, like, I can't believe I married this guy. No, she just, like, clunks out of her chair and is, like, just, you know, twitching on the floor. Right. Um, like, you shut off up, a... I pulled up that Zemo gift to show them that we're going to be discussing this on the show today. <laughs> oh, my God. And I'm like, this they'll understand. <laughs> Well, I hope she liked uh, dancing Zemo. My kid did. He got a kick out of it. He's like, of oh, my course. God, that's so cringy. <laughs> cringy. <laughs> was it that He-Man's tiger? Yes. Uh, he would turn into cringy cat. Right. Big old cringy battle cat. <laughs> All right. I think that's enough show for today, huh? I think so, too. All right. So, uh... Thank you, everyone, uh, for listening to episode 549 of Long Box Heroes. For Todd, this is Joe saying thank you all for listening, and we'll see you all here next week. Remember, be a faucet, not a drain. Boop! You're listening to the soon-to-be-named network, the Lamborghini of Podcast Networks.